Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, stocks climbing on that cooler than expected CPI report, the lowest monthly core reading in nearly two years. And stocks are rallying on the back of that data with the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ both hitting 52-week highs. We'll debate the road ahead for the markets and what today's inflation read could mean for the Fed with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour, Jim Laventhal, Liz Young. Joe Terranova and Rob Seachin. But first, let's take a check of the markets very quickly. As we mentioned, the Nasdaq and the S&P hitting 52-week highs. The Nasdaq doing the best, up almost three-quarters of a percent. The S&P up over a half a percent. The Dow up almost a half a percent. But the big story here, the yield on the 10-year. And the, actually, all Treasuries right now, we're seeing 3.85. Remember, just last week, we hit a high of 4.09. So a big move to the downside when it comes to yields. And I think that's really where we should start this conversation. This move to the downside of yields, this inflation read, how does it make you feel about the markets and the possibility of a second half rally? Um, it makes me feel good. Uh, it, this is obviously part of my thesis, as longtime viewers know, is that I've been saying that inflation has been coming down faster than expectations, and basically that the Fed's work is done. Now, they are likely to go again in July, another 25 basis points. Public service announcement here. The, the, the Fed person, or excuse me, the, the insider, if you will, from the journalistic community is Nick Timoros at the Wall Street Journal. He's the one that the Fed speaks to if they want to change course. So for the next couple of weeks. We just got to follow what Nick Timoros is reading in the Wall Street Journal. I don't particularly like bringing up a competing <laughs> journalistic outlook on a CNBC show, but he's the one guy. Um, if the Fed is going to change, they're going to let him know. But regardless of whether they do another uh, or not, it seems likely that that's it, that that's done. What that means for the markets is that uh, the lows, the risk that we go back to the lows of October of last year seem to be very remote. I think they are vanishing. At the same time, let's respect, Frank, the fact that the stock markets up 17%. And let's leave aside the narrowness of the rally for a second. 17% in a little over six months is a lot. This market needs to consolidate. So I don't think this is the FOMO moment where everybody should be rushing in. I think this is a moment to just cool off, digest the gains that we've had, and let the economy, which is a lot stronger than people <clears throat> expect, continue to chug along as inflation continues to come down and the Fed hangs its hat up. All right, so Jim's really focused on Nick Timoros from the Wall Street Journal. By the way, friend of the show of my show, Worldwide Exchange. Um, I think a lot of other people are looking at 12 straight months of declines when it comes to headline CPI. Liz Young, how do you feel about the second half? Well, look, the CPI print today was definitely a good thing, moving obviously in the right direction. And now we're sort of rolling off the high print of last June. So we've got that in the rearview mirror. 
I don't think that a hike in July is absolutely guaranteed. The market still thinks that we've got almost a 90% probability of that. I think there's a, a decent probability that they might be done or that they might prolong the pause even further because there has been good progress. And it's okay to be positive about that progress. Now, to Jim's point, are new lows in our future? I don't know the answer to that, obviously. I think it would require some sort of confirmation that we are actually going to have a recession or that there is going to be a contraction in the economy. And there continues to be data that conflicts that. So it's gotten ever muddier and it continues to be muddy for those of us who are still expecting that an economic cycle does end in a recession. And as we are still in late cycle behavior, it's difficult for me to believe that we won't see one. But until we have confirmation of that, Jim's probably right. We're pretty far from those lows. We're far from October. Uh, and I think there's probably still room for a continued rally if we don't have bad news. But I do not right. see a lot of upside over the long term from these valuations levels. Well, I know we we're just showing the Fed funds future. If you look at the CME, still a more than 90% chance of a hike in July. Joe, I see you doing a lot of nodding. Do we have some consensus here? Well, I think this is all about bond yields. And I think it's important to trail back the, the path that yields have taken. Uh, May 4th, you had a 365 on a 10-year. It subsequently rallied over 145 basis points to a 511, 16-year high on July 6th. And now, over the last four trading days, you've seen that yields pull back by 35 basis points. We're trading 473 right now. And I think yields are the story. Yields in the month of July have taken control of dictating where risk assets, including equities, are actually going to be pricing. So I think if you look at the move in yields today as a reaction to a favorable CPI report, and you say to yourself, this is a needed ingredient in the formula which will complete 2023 being a very positive year for equities. In the near term, in the July, August, September timeframe over the next 90 days, I'm not sure where markets go. To Jimmy's point and to Liz's point, I think there's vulnerability that you could see a sideways or even a weak quarter. But what's important is that yields don't get too far away, okay? Yields pull back in reaction to inflation like they're doing now, and that sets you up nicely for the fourth quarter. And I think the fourth quarter is going to be a very strong one. All right, so you have some questions about the current quarter. Rob Seachin, I'm going to come over to you. Your reaction to CPI, what does it make you, and also the move in bond yields, how does that make you feel about this current quarter and also just the full year? So, so when we look at it, the, the core services X shelter has seen one of the biggest moderations that we've seen all year. And it clearly shows that the Fed has control and we are on this, this golden path where you have disinflation and average weekly earnings strengthening. And so the consumer is regaining purchasing power which certainly, and I know we're going to talk about earnings later, but it certainly creates the possibility, at least in the near term, for upside earnings. And we'll talk about why that is. But when you look out into 24, you still see a, a, a market pricing in uh, Fed cuts. I, I think it's too early to think about that. 
And the implications of that for valuations are something that you have to pay attention to. So in the very short run, you know, technically we move, we're well supported. We've moved quite a bit and that's why you got to be careful, but not all parts of the market have moved. They're starting to wake up. And I think you can pay attention to those parts of the market. I mean, we like international right now. You're, you're starting to see a, a weak dollar trend, and that has historically been good for international stocks. So if we're just talking about the U.S. equity market, it's still top heavy. Um, and you have to make sure that you don't overexpose yourself to that in the events that, that rates in 24 actually end up headed higher because inflation stays more persistent because of a strong consumer. All right, so you're, you're really banking on the strong consumer. I think we also have to keep in mind the consumers also stretch pretty thin. Rob, I want to push back on one thing. When we look at the NASDAQ 100, we're talking about this re that you have to invest in more than just these big names. NASDAQ 100 still trading, I think, double digits below its 200-day moving average. Don't you still see more upside there potentially? Of course, potentially, but let's realize how expensive it is relative to history. Now, if you were to look at an equal weighted NASDAQ, you'd see that that's up about 23% for the year, still significant, far under the, uh, the, the market cap weighted NASDAQ. And, you know, while we're overweight tech, we're really letting some of our winners ride. But, you know, the last time we were on, we trimmed Microsoft. We're really focused on valuation. We're market weight on Apple. And so while we want to stay engaged while we have these positive technicals in place, we also want to understand that a little bit of that is driven by the look through to rates being cut in 24 and a lot of bit of it is being driven by AI enthusiasm which hasn't found its way into earnings estimates yet and so you're in this uh, uh, this this land of information that is incomplete and I would tell you when you hear everybody at the gym talking about you own Nvidia right <laughs> I, I can tell you that that concerns me well, okay well, you probably shouldn't take um, investment advice like from your personal on trainer that you probably shouldn't take investment advice from your personal trainer jim i know you've been waiting to, to jump yeah, in on this you know look there's a lot in today's report and we're all touching on various aspects there's one thing i want to mention because i'm sure viewers out there frank are saying hey what about the core silly that's what the fed is focused on and i'm thinking about something you said a minute ago the consumer is stretched uh, politely, no, the consumer is not. Headline CPI is 3% year over year. Now, the consumer is looking at the price of whatever, a haircut, and saying, oh, my God, it's $45 today. Don't laugh, Liz. It's $45 <laughs> today, and it was $35 last year. That's right. It raised in a year, but it's not continuing to raise. 3% is the headline number. And I know that the Fed has been focused on the core and the super core and all this sort of stuff. What we all need to consider is if the headline CPI continues to come down, our friend, friend of the show, Tom Lee, thinks it's gonna have a two-handle next month. If it's a two-handle on the headline and the Fed is still trying to break the labor market, they are going to run into a significant political and societal problem, keeping, keeping people out of work when inflation is broken. So just 
pay attention to Jim, that. Jim, I don't think core matters. Explain to me, Jimmy. Can, can, I, can I give I push us one on second? You for a second there. Joe, wait, Rob. Uh, Joe's been waiting patiently. We're going to get one more point. We're okay, go Ed ahead. Go ahead. We're going to keep this whole train going. I promise, Joe. Very quick. A couple things to keep in mind. First of all, there's obviously extreme concentration right now with the top 10 stocks leading the performance in 2023, and we all know that's coming from the Nasdaq on July 24th. The rebalance, this special rebalance that's occurring, is specifically uh, in its attempt going to remove some of that concentration. Keep that in mind. In addition to that, we're not talking about what has been the catalyst on September 28th, last fall. What happened to the U.S. dollar? It peaked, and it's down subsequent to that nearly 13 percent. After that peak, Frank, the bottom for the move in equities was placed. So it's been very important. It's been a very positive contra- uh, contributor, and it's been a condition that's been favorable. And you're not going to hear so much corporations talking about the currency headwind because you have the U.S. Right. dollar at a 14-month low. All right. Now it's time to bring in our halftime headliner. We're talking about Ed Yardeni of Yardeni Research. Ed, it is great to have you here on a day like this to talk inflation and the impact on the market. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. All right, big question here. What does the CPI read mean for the economy and what does it mean for the markets? Obviously two separate things. Well, I think certainly with the benefit of hindsight, it seems that uh, inflation has turned out to be somewhat more persistent in some areas and transitory in other areas. So it hasn't been just across the board uh, persistence. In fact, uh, we've seen a, a very transitory situation in the goods markets, goods inflation, has come down rather dramatically, down basically to zero. Uh, now I think we're starting to see disinflation in the services side, uh, particularly the rent component, which is 40% of this of the CPI. So I think that inflation continues to moderate. I think some of the inflation we've had was related to the pandemic, the shocks of the pandemic, and they're dissipating. Uh, and as we uh, move forward here, I think uh, inflation concerns will abate as uh, an impediment to a continuation of economic growth. I mean, we did have a mini recession back there in uh, 2020. I think we're still in an economic expansion. I think we've uh, we've been in a rolling recession. If we've been in a recession at all, it's been a rolling one. And I think we're in a rolling expansion. All right, so Ed, you're saying inflation concerns abate. Is that for the market? Is that for the consumer? Is that for the Fed? We had several Fed speakers out today, Kashkari, Barkin, both of them saying post-CPI, inflation is still too high. Are you listening to those hawkish voices? Is there another Fed speaker that you're listening to for insight? Well, and now they, they, they seem to uh, sort of have a, uh, a split personality when it comes to uh, what they're doing. Uh, on the one hand, when they get together as a committee and put out the projections of uh, the, the, the summary of economic projections where they put in their forecasts, they've been uh, really forecasting for some time that they would get the Fed funds rate up to five, five and a half percent. And that would be restrictive enough that if they left it there, that inflation would come down. So I, I guess they don't want to they don't want to use the expression mission accomplished because that's a jinx. Uh, but I think to a large extent, they, they have achieved their mission, which was to get the Fed funds rate up to a restrictive level and keep it there. I'm not in the camp that thinks the Fed funds rate's coming down anytime soon. I think they've done a pretty good job. And I, I know it's usually uh, a, a, a jinx as well to, to side with the Fed, but I think this time the Fed may actually have gotten it right. 
You know, I think a lot of people say don't fight the Fed. Uh, Ed, Joe Terranova, he has a question for you. Ed, good to see you. So a lot of times, you, you know, when you when you think about personal goals, you say to yourself, I, I, I want to do 20 more push-ups over the next year. Well, the first 15 you might be able to do pretty quickly, and the next five get really tough. And I think that's how we think about inflation right now. You've gotten to 3%. It's going to be difficult to get 2%. Ed, you're a student of history. Can equities and risk assets live in a world where inflation stays sticky at 3%? Well, if inflation stays sticky at 3%, then basically we're back to the, the old normal. Uh, be, before uh, the Fed was concerned that they couldn't get inflation up to 2%, uh, I think we could live with 3%. I think the bond yield would be around the current levels, and I think earnings would continue to grow. Uh, but I do believe that uh, inflation actually could continue to come down to, to 2% because uh, I guess I'm in the roaring 2020s camp. I know that that seemed delusional here for the past few years, uh, but I think it's still very much a rea realistic uh, possibility that we're going to see technological innovations, not just AI, but the whole slew of technologies that get integrated together that apply to just about every business uh, model you can come up with. I think. Every company now is, in a sense, a tech company. If they don't make tech, they're going to use tech to increase their productivity and efficiency. All right, Ed, we have a question from Liz Young for you. Hi, Hi Ed. Thanks for your thoughts today. So I actually agree with you. I think the Fed has gotten to a sufficiently restrictive level, and I think that they probably stop here and, and are done with the hiking cycle. The part that I'm, I'm struggling with squaring is the signals that the market is sending. So even if that is positive for equities and inflation continues to come down and that fuels this rally even further, how do we solve the yield curve inversion question? How do we come out of inversion right. on, on all those metrics without causing pain to the equity market? Well, uh, the, the yield curve has actually uh, been right. Uh, the yield curve inverts uh, in anticipation that if the Fed continues to tighten, something will break. Uh, and uh, very often, when something breaks in the financial system, that turns into an economy-wide credit crunch, which then turns into a recession. So we've gotten the first part of that uh, of that scenario uh, right. Uh, we have seen something break in the banking system back in March, but the Fed came in so quickly with a liquidity facility that that saved the day, and we haven't had a credit crunch or a recession. So I think uh, the yield curve so far has been right uh, about a financial crisis, but it's been wrong about a credit crunch and a recession because of the monetary response to it. All right, Ed, one more question from our Jim Leventhal. Hey, Ed, uh, good to see you as always. Um, I think you know I've, I've shared your optimism, but I want your help in squaring something away. There's another conflict. Um, the ISM manufacturing has been in contraction for quite some time. That's something the bears point to. And look, it, it's negative, right? It's contracting. Sure. It's not good. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, the optimists, the bulls like you and I, point to, amongst other things, the amount of uh, supply chain onshoring and infrastructure spending that's going on, which is right. showing up in CapEx, right? But how do we square Absolutely. that? That, that contractionary uh, ISM manufacturing with CapEx that's positive? Well, well look, I, I think once the uh, pandemic lockdowns were lifted, uh, we all had cap cabin fever and we all wanted to go out there and buy something. You know, Am Americans are amazing people. When we're, when we're happy, we spend money. When we're depressed, uh, we spend even more <laughs> if we have it. And we had a lot of money coming out of the pandemic. The government was uh, providing helicopter money. And, but you couldn't really buy services. They were still restricted in many ways. Uh, so everybody went on a buying binge for goods. And that kind of all 
uh, played itself out by the end of 2021, just as retailers uh, ordered a lot more that just couldn't be sold by 2022 and had to discount the prices. Meanwhile, we all went on vacation. We all went traveling. You know, a lot of people uh, now work from home, which means they can kind of sneak away uh, for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, maybe even Monday. And so the airports are absolutely jam-packed. The restaurants are jam-packed. And by the way, the baby boomers are retiring. And what else do they have to do all day but uh, play golf, go traveling, and have a nice meal at a restaurant? You know, Ed, I think that's a great question. Before we let you go, I want to ask you one question about earnings. Estimates have been declining by 8%, third straight quarter of declines. What's your view? Is the outlook a bit too pessimistic? I think the market's looking ahead uh, by roughly 12 months. And uh, I think the market recognizes that we're probably right now in the second quarter going to have uh, the uh, trough in the, the growth rate of, of uh, S&P 500 earnings. And so I think looking ahead here, the market's in anticipating that things will improve. We really haven't had an earnings recession based on revenues. We've had an earnings recession based on profit margins. And I, and, and kind of consistent with my productivity story, I think productivity, uh, I think productivity is going to boost the uh, the profit margins and give a lift to earnings. All right, Ed Yardini of Yardini Research, it is great to have you here. Thank you for your time you. and for your insight. All right, I want to keep this earnings conversation going. So I want to ask all three of you, is better than feared? Is that still good enough for this upcoming earnings season? Of course, the big banks kick it off on Friday. Well, look, I'm never short of opinions. I think it's going to be a lot better than feared. Um, there's a discrepancy. I've mentioned this several times on air between what the top-down macroeconomists are saying, and that's what you referred to when you said estimates are coming down. The macro aggregate S&P 500 estimates keep coming down. But when you look at, and this is where I live, what companies are saying and doing and what analysts are doing with their estimates at the company-specific level in response, they're going up. That discrepancy has to be resolved. Um, my faith is in the company. Period. Liz? Look, I, I do think that better than feared is probably still okay because the bar is still pretty low, right? Depending on what estimates you're looking at, we're expecting somewhere between, I think, a, a 6.8 and a 7.4% contraction for Q2. So that's a pretty low bar. I think actually where it gets stickier and, and a little bit more confusing is that there's expected to be a pretty big resurgence in revenues and earnings later this year, fourth quarter and then into 2024. If everything comes in as expected, we're sort of flat year over year from 2022 to 2023, but then 2024 is expected to be this new ramp up. I think those estimates are likely to come down still, and companies are going to have to validate that those deserve to be that high, and right. this is the quarter where we start to hear about that. You know, Liz, you sound like you're pretty in line with Wells Fargo. Uh, Rob, Joe, I'm going to come over to you guys in a second. I want to bounce this off you guys. Wells Fargo going that out today saying the 8% S&P 500 returns since mid-May suggests EPS results and guidance will need to be exceptional to get the market materially higher. A sell-the-news reaction seems more appropriate. Joe? Possibly. I could, I could see that. I still think you're going to you be... You lukewarm about it. Like, well, I, I, think you're, I think you have to do understand two things. Number one, the C-suite is going to remain incredibly hesitant to offer any type of optimistic guidance. So to Liz's point, the bar is going to remain incredibly low. Um, I, I think, I don't believe in the apocalyptic earnings contraction scenario as we look forward. I think certainly we could plateau 
And I think this current earnings season consistent with what they believe because the market has rallied 8% since May. You're going to need really, really strong earnings to advance the market. Okay, I'll give you that. But I think if you're relying on the apocalyptic scenario, let me give one statistic why I don't think that's going to prove worthy in the uh, coming quarters. In Q2, we increased secondaries by 60% over Q1. So that basically meant there was the confidence to go out and do secondary offerings. You know what the response was to the companies that actually did a secondary offering? Their stock rose 6%. So having a 6% rise after a secondary is an indication that there's something more optimistic budding underneath the surface than actually being communicated. Hey, Rob, I'm actually going to shift gears. I'm going to come to you first on this one. Big banks are set to kick off earnings season on Friday with J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, and Citigroup reporting. What are your thoughts about the banks reporting on Friday, and what are you expecting to hear about credit conditions and also their deposit rates? So I, I just wanted to say, say one more thing on margins. I hate to go, go back to it, but margins benefit from inflation. And we are seeing a disinflationary pressure. So when we reach peak, peak margins, we have to get back there in 24. And I am sorry, I just don't see us getting to a place where we have peak margins. On financials, I think they're going to be a beneficiary of the rotation to value, the broadening out of the market. Let's remember, financials make up about 20% of the value indices. That said, we've been in an environment where um, margins are getting hit, especially for the smaller and more regional banks, because they have to pay more for deposits. Yes, they're going to benefit from the economic trajectory. Yes, they're going to benefit from some of the strength, the recent strength we've seen in in commercial real estate. However, I would okay. very much hug close to the best banks, the banks that perform best in the stress test, those that have reason, uh, pr frankly, premium but reasonable price to book numbers. And that's why we own JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, because we think they're net beneficiaries of that activity. So we're not really ready really to back up the truck other right. than our overweight to value, but we are definitely of the mindset that names that are high quality are going to be beneficiaries, All right. especially if you know the banking activity picks All back right. up. Liz, I want to come over to you. Uh, I want to actually bounce off what Joe had to say. He doesn't expect any CEOs to give a, a really optimistic guidance, but isn't that really important for these banks with all the disruption that we've seen since SVB? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, bank CEOs have to tread lightly about the signals that they're sending, particularly after what happened in March. You want to hear things about deposits being strong and you don't want to scare anybody uh, into doing something irrational, right? But I think one of the most important things, and, and Rob just mentioned this, one of the most important things that I think we need to hear from bank CEOs, no matter the size, is that credit is still okay and that there's still credit activity. Because now we've sort of shifted the focus, as, as Ed pointed out, we've seen the sort of financial crisis. We haven't seen the credit crunch that everybody keeps expecting to happen. If we start to hear little shoots of a credit issue going on at banks, whether big or small, that's when people's antenna will go up and I think will get a little bit more nervous. So I think CEOs of banks 
have a really good lens into, number one, what's happening in the financial system and the activity of consumers of borrowing and spending, but they are going to be careful to not send any really terrible messages. Well, be alert for any real estate markdowns in upcoming earnings. It's going to be important. And you know where the bar is really low? In the one place in financials where collectively all of us want to be, capital markets. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Mike Mayo has done a good job talking about Goldman Sachs. Profit estimates for Goldman Sachs have been cut 50% since the middle of June. Trading revenue expectations for Morgan Stanley are down 25%. We all say, I own Morgan Stanley. I'd love to own Goldman Sachs. We all believe capital markets are an opportunity. Well, you're talking about two names where the expectations and the bar is significantly lower. All right, big bank earnings coming up on Friday. You're on halftime, though. Stay with us. We've got our calls of the day coming up next. We're going to hit the trades on Netflix, Broadcom, and GM. Much more halftime. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. We have a number of analyst calls to get through. Let's start with Netflix. UBS reiterating its price target on the stock. 525, Joe, you own it in the Joe T. Sure, let's go. 525, here we come. I've been talking uh, the last month at nauseum about Netflix. Um, I, know, I know Jimmy last week wasn't comfortable when we talked about the valuation and the comparisons to Disney. I just believe that over the next three to six months, there's an alternative to Disney. I'm not saying sell Disney. I do believe that Disney will turn around the struggles that they're facing currently. But I think in the near term, your money will be treated better. Being in Netflix, they've done an excellent job in terms of restoring the company to profitability, or I should say achieving profitability, not restoring it, achieving profitability. And they have restored the quality of content that we're familiar with from prior years at Netflix. And all of that has resulted in very strong positive price momentum that's reflected in the stock that continues to move higher and outperform Disney. All right, Netflix flat today though. Uh, next up, Deutsche Bank raising Broadcom's price target to 905. Rob, you own this one. We do, and amen, thank you, Deutsche Bank. The name's up 45% since we've added it. It's at a 52-week high. They're a beneficiary of the growth in AI data centers. NVIDIA it, it, GPUs doing the, are doing the heavy lifting, but we still need Broadcom for the connectivity between all the GPUs. So it's a relatively less expensive way to play the space, and we still like it. Liz, what do you think about tech in general? The story all year has been valuation, but with rates declining, does that redefine that narrative? 
What I think about tech in general is that I wish I would have known a 30% rally in the NASDAQ was coming. Uh, and it is difficult right now to jump on the bandwagon and say that this is an attractive entry point because of the valuation story that we all continue to talk about. I think that there is also this big disconnect that's been happening, particularly over the last couple months, where yields have risen and valuations have risen. That relationship is not usually in that sort of form. And at some point, as yields fall, and if they fall further because of fears, I think you do see some of that fluff come out of tech valuations in particular, because the stuff that goes up the fastest usually comes down first, and it's the easiest to unload. However, does that mean that we have to find a new low in tech? And I've actually been consistent on that. I don't think we necessarily need to find a new low in tech. I think the NASDAQ felt its pain last year, but I do think we probably have to give back to get a little bit more in a right-sized zone for these valuations, given where we are in the economic cycle. All right, last but not least, Big Auto. City adds a positive catalyst watch on General Motors. Jim, over to you. Yeah, so Mr. McKaylee adds his voice to the chorus of analysts who have been raising estimates, expecting a beat and raise uh, when GM reports in two weeks. I'm happy to say that. I referred earlier, Frank, to the fact that uh, company-specific analysts have been revising higher, and GM's a case in point. Uh, estimates for this year and the following years have gone up 15% since the beginning of the year. Uh, that's not supposed to happen when you're going to have a recession, but okay. Uh, just moving on from that. The stock has great cash flows. Uh, they're buying back shares at 80% of book value. I think we have to respect at the same time that the stock's up something like 18% year to date, about 30% over the last year. So I am very happily holding my shares. If you don't own the shares and you believe me that the long-term returns are there, I would say you nibble at this price. You respect the fact that it's rallied quite a bit. You nibble a little bit at this price and you wait for more entry points to build your position. But this is going to continue to be a core long-term holding for me. All right, General Motors up almost 2% right now, but it's also time to get to our headlines. We have our Kate Rooney. Kate, good afternoon. Hey there, Frank. The State Department confirming today that it was part of a breach by Chinese hackers. A spokesperson saying the department detected the activity and took immediate steps to secure its systems. Microsoft also revealing this morning that the hackers, thought to be part of a spy group, gained access to email accounts of 25 organizations, including government agencies. Senator Mark Warner said today that the Senate Intelligence Committee is closely monitoring that breach. Just minutes from now, President Biden will deliver an address, an address in Lithuania after two days of high-stakes meetings with NATO leaders. At the top of the agenda today, Russia's war with Ukraine. A White House official promised a speech that would highlight the strength of the 31-country alliance and how it will remain a force for global security and stability. And HBO dominated Emmy nominations today with Succession, The White Lotus, and The Last of Us nabbing nearly 80 nominations. Succession led all nominees with 27 nods from its fourth and final season, but the ongoing writer's strike and a possible actor's strike threatened to dampen the normally festive award ceremony scheduled for September. Great shows. Can't wait to watch that. Frank, back over yeah, to you. Su succession, fantastic. I don't want to be a spoiler, but I was a little disappointed in the ending, Kate. A great show overall. I know. A great right. series. <laughs> okay, you. Rooney. Kate, great to see you. Thanks, Frank. All right, coming up next, our chart of the day is energy. It's leading the sector. It's the leading sector this week, plus a pop for crude oil today at its highest level since May, how the committee is playing the space. That's coming up next on Halftime. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to halftime. Now let's get to our chart of the day. The energy sector, it's in rally mode. It's the top performing sector so far this week and this month as WTI crude oil hits its highest level in more than two months. But the group is still lagging year to date. Joe, I'm going to come over to you. You have the most energy exposure here on the desk. Yeah, I do. Uh, spot price of oil so far year to date, it's kind of just vacillating between 63 and 83. That's been the range. Um, now the appearance is that it's uh, position to kind of move higher into the top end of the range. What's the reasoning behind that? It's less about fundamentals, and it's really more about neutralizing a lot of the bearish positioning that was accumulated over the last two months by a lot of commodity trading advisors right. and speculators. So we're seeing a little bit of an unwind. We'll see how far price is able to take that momentum and possibly extend towards $80. But I don't see anything fundamentally in the near term that's representative of being a catalyst. So I know you say you're not seeing the fundamentals, Liz. I want to come over to you. We have falling dollar, falling rates. Doesn't that just essentially help the oil and energy market overall? It, it's supportive of oil prices for sure. Um, I've been constructive on energy for a while. I still like energy, both in a bull and a bear case, frankly, because if you if you think about just the bull case, if we don't enter a recession, obviously there's going to remain demand for energy. And if the market continues to go up and pull the bears over into the bull space, they probably are going to start buying the stuff that has been unloved. And energy is the second to worst sector in the S&P year to date. Uh, if you think about the fact that if we do have a recession, I think oil prices are not outrageous, right? We're not at a valuation level in many of the energy stocks that are outrageous. So less room to fall and they probably hold up pretty well. So Rob, over to you. I know you, you trimmed back in March when it comes to energy, but you're still overweight. What we saw today from CPI, what we're seeing from rates, how this might change the Fed's rate hike strategy going forward. Does that change your thoughts when it comes to oil and energy? Big debate in our investment committee meeting this morning, Frank. So we've seen a drawdown in supply. We've seen prices up. We're entering July peak driving season. The use of energy is skyrocketing. The outflows have been extreme. When you look at the ETFs, you almost have peak capitulation. It's inexpensive. China is stimulating and you have this positive that's a it's a hedge against geopolitical events and inflationary shocks. And so when we think about it, and it benefits from the rotation into the value sector, of which it's a 9% weight or the broadening out in the market. So I think this very well could be one of the best performing sectors in the second half of the year. And, and that's why we are entertaining going back to a more meaningful overweight. 
All right, so Jim, Rob's pretty optimistic about the second half. I think the question today may be, did we hit the bottom when it comes to oil? Have we finally found the bottom of it? I very strongly think we have. Um, I think that $70 level is that bottom. Um, remember, that hit, and actually we went below that in recent months on fear of a recession after Silicon Valley Bank, uh, after concerns that China isn't reopening as rapidly as possible. Now, those things are in the rearview mirror, and I think most of us, not all of us, but most of us think that the U.S. economy is in good shape. China's likely to stimulate. And also, you know what? The U.S. government's going to be filling the strategic petroleum reserve. So at the commodity level, which is your question, yeah, I think the bottom's in. I don't think that we're going back to 100 because we've seen that the war in Ukraine has been weathered by the markets nicely. Uh, but in this range from 75 to 85, I think that's where West Texas Intermediate's going to lie. At the same time, you know, as we talk about the stocks, and I'll make this brief, you know, everybody wants to talk about how this year has been terrible for the energy stocks. It's a true statement. But I think if you you got to expand your viewpoint and look at the one-year and the two-year returns for this sector, they've been phenomenal. Really, what's been going on this year, in my opinion, is digesting those gains, consolidating, yes, in part, on the back of a weak energy market, but that weakness, as I just said, is coming to an end. And I think the energy stocks like ExxonMobil uh, and like the XLE in general are ready to roar again. All right, something certainly to watch. Oil prices up today. Coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word, much more halftime after this break. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joining us now with his midday word. Mike, always great to have you here. Uh, markets off their highs now, but still yeah. a very strong day. Yeah, I would say a modest sell the news response. Obviously, we're still up. Breath is still good on the day, but we are uh, off the boil just a little bit. And I think the market saw this benign CPI number coming. I was mentioning before the, uh, the, hit, the report hit that a lot of the forecasters were saying there was some downside potential for CPI. So that leaves us with what's next. I mean, the market has really checked off a lot of boxes. The technical trend is certainly higher. Uh, we obviously have disinflation very well entrenched. The idea of a soft landing has made its way into market pricing and valuations to a fair degree. Now it's earnings season starts. Uh, the other element of the bull case is going to have to be that this is the trough for year-over-year earnings uh, declines. And that's what the projections say. Uh, so we'll see. I, I always feel like earnings season itself is not always a huge index-wide catalyst. It's more you're kind of doing the sorting, winners and losers, uh, kind of get our estimates up to, uh, up to date, and then see if the valuation still makes sense after all the dust settles. All right, so we do have PPI tomorrow. I'm not sure that's as meaningful as it could have been. Yeah. What is the next inflection point for the markets? I would say no, not PPI specifically. I was going to basically say, I mean, we have the Fed the week after next. It seems right. like a foregone conclusion. We'll see if there's anything uh, that's going to leave us uh, uh, you know, off balance going into that. I doubt it. All right, Mike Santoli, thank you very much as always. Up next, the setup on Delta and Pepsi ahead of earnings, how you should be positioned when halftime returns. And welcome back to Halftime. Time for the earnings set up on Delta and Pepsi. Both report before the bell tomorrow. Let's start with Delta hitting a new 52-week high just earlier today. Jim, you own that one. I do own it, Frank. I'm very happy with it, as long as, as well as competitor Alaska Airlines. Let's face it, the airlines have done very, very well. I expect good commentary and good results from Mr. Bastian. It was just two weeks ago that they did their investor day, and their long-term plan seems very bright. Uh, it's hard to imagine that in two weeks, uh, the one quarter ahead would have somehow dimmed. 
Um, but for people who own the stock, let me be clear, I'm not selling a share. If you don't own the stock, you've got to respect the fact that it's up 46% year to date. Maybe you nibble a little bit here, uh, but it is, you know, it, it is ripe for at least a consolidation, maybe even a little sell the news. Again, to be clear, long term, the future is very bright. I'm not selling a share. Just pick your spots if you don't own it right now. All right. Speaking of Mr. Bash, and don't miss a CNBC exclusive interview with Delta CEO Ed Bash and tomorrow on Squawk Box at 7 a.m. Eastern. Our Phil LeBeau will have that one. Next up, we got Pepsi. Joe, you own that one in the Joe T ETF. So this is an example of a company that actually does display optimism. This is a company that in the most recent quarter in April, it boosted guidance uh, for its annual outlook. This is a company that's had 18 consecutive quarters of strong earnings. Pricing power is going to be the key. The options market not expecting much of a move, maybe a one and a half percent move on either direction. The stock right now currently it's tangled up within uh, the 5100 and 200 day moving average. So maintain the position, believe in the company, they have pricing power and hopefully Frito-Lay, which is Jimmy's favorite snack, delivers. <laughs> All right, something to watch. Pepsi shares little shrug here from Jim. Okay. Pepsi share is pretty much flat today. All right, I stay with it. halftime. Grade my trade. That's coming up next. Welcome back to halftime. Time for grade my trade. First up for Rob. Thurston bought Meta at a 148. Rob, that was your stock summit pick. Yes, I'd give him an A plus. I mean, he's obviously done incredibly well. Uh, you know, the mantra is let your winners ride. It's in a strong trend. It's moved a lot. It's re-rated, but it's still not tremendously expensive. And so I think it's terrific. All right. We've got one for Jim now. Joey from Delaware. He bought Birdtex, part of your biotech holdings. We talked about this last week. He bought it at 294. Should he hold it? Um, yes. By the way, I mean, just to be clear, I didn't buy it at 294. There was kind of a little bit of a rich price there, but that's okay. Uh, it's 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 going. It's gone higher from there. Uh, it will continue to go higher. This is a very attractively priced uh, pharmaceutical slash biotech. Um, you know, when I say very attractively priced, this is not like Bristol Myers or or something like that. But it's not one of these nosebleed biotechs either. So I think it's very appropriately priced. All right, we got one for Joe. Kathy from Chicago bought Gilead Sciences at $65 and then $75. Should she buy, sell, or hold? That's well, good buy. She certainly should hold uh, the position, maintain the long. It's a company we've talked about in years prior significantly. Reasonable valuation at 12 times. And, and I believe Gilead, along with Intuitive Surgical, will be a beneficiary of this upcoming uh, July 24th NASDAQ rebalance. All right, we're going international for Liz Young. By the way, belated birthday girl. Happy birthday. John <laughs> from Belgium you. wants to know your view on the semiconductor sector for 2023 and then beyond. So if you look at semis, they've obviously benefited from this AI craze and enthusiasm. If you own semis already, I think it's okay to let them keep running, especially if yields are coming down and we're continuing to see optimism in that industry group. However, if we get an indication that there's a contraction to come or some kind of pullback in the market where we get what I called before a right-sizing of valuations in tech, that's when you rotate out and go into more of a cyclical sector, something like financials or energy. All right, coming up, we got final trades here on Halftime. Stay with us. All right, time now for final trades. Rob, you're up first. Conoco Phillips. 
just like it was right to pick unloved tech at the beginning of the year, we think it's right to pick unloved energy right now. All right, showing some conviction to your, uh, your oil thesis. Liz, you're up next. I'm with Rob choosing energy today. I think that it works in a bull or a bear thesis this year. All right, Joe, you're up next. So something Rob said before uh, rings so true, and that is that Broadcom really is the reasonable valuation AI trade in the semiconductor industry. Uh, it's a name that I own. It's a name that I will own as we continue to move forward. And it's a name that I think everyone should take a look at as a way to play the AI trade with a reasonable valuation. All right, big run up so far this year. Worried that it may have already run its course? I am not. All right, Jim, last for you. Uh, Thermo Fisher, this is a very high quality uh, healthcare company. It's had a very uh, slow start to this year. However, if you look at any long-term chart uh, for this stock, it handily beats the S&P 500, and I expect that track record to continue. Trading at just under 20 times next year's earnings, that historically has been a very good valuation at which to buy this stock. Is the valuation why you're picking it today, or is there some other reason? It is a great long-term holding. So, you know, yeah. the, the diagnostics that they do, uh, the equipment that they do, the demographics all support the long-term holding of it at this valuation. All right, that's going to do it for halftime. we got the exchange coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.